Today is October 4th, 2015, and my sermon title is Afraid of the Dark. Afraid of the Dark. Uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. This is obviously Abraham about to offer Isaac. Let's back up to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the Lord. How is it that God didn't know? How is it that these things aren't knowable until then? The Lord saw his actions and said, now I know that you fear me. We're not afraid of what the enemy has to do. We're only afraid of the one who can cast both body and soul into the grave. We're not afraid of anything else. We're not afraid. We're not going to give in to that kind of fear. We're going to look at the fear that the Lord has. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The right type of fear that we're talking about here in this case, is not a fear that keeps us from doing. It literally causes sacrifice in our life. This kind of fear causes you to give up. It doesn't cause you to withdraw. It just says, Lord, I will literally give to you the most precious thing. That thing which I had to wait 25 years for. Plus another few years here. This has been a, a 35, a 40 year process in the making. Lord, here I, here I am. I'm laying him before the altar. And the Lord said, now. Now we're getting somewhere. Now this is a, a sacrifice that is pleasing unto me. Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Abraham proves his love to the Lord because of his sacrifice. Exodus 18, and let's start in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Praise God for family, right? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is saying, Hey man, you're, you're from sunup to sundown listening and judging other people's cases. When they can't handle stuff, they bring everything to you. And he said, This is not good. You're, this is not the right way to do this. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them, everybody say appoint them, as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. When we fear the Lord properly, it allows appointments to be made in our life. It, it allows us to be chosen for the right tasks based on our fear, based on our faithfulness to what God is saying. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, and we're going to start in verse 10. It says this. Isaiah 50 and verse 10 says this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of His servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. It, we're not used to the Bible saying those of you who walk in the, in, in the dark and it being the good guys. Right? Usually when we say those who walk in darkness have now come into light. In this case, he's saying, let you who walk in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. In other words, there are sometimes difficult things. <laughs> there are sometimes uh, physical sicknesses in our family. There are sometimes spiritual attacks against the team in Suriname, against people here in our midst. There are a lot of things that go on and sometimes you're like, I, I, I don't really have any clarity, Lord. I know that your word is supposed to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, but right now I can't really figure what's going on. He says here, let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord 
and rely on His God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Do you see what it's saying here? God wants us to walk in His light. And the light that is the life that came down and made Himself manifest in our presence, in humanity's presence. He's saying here, if you go light your own torch, if you try to do this thing your own way, go ahead, light your own torch. Go ahead, come up with your own plan. Go ahead and seek out whatever you'd like to seek out because He said the end of that is you're going to lie down in torment. It's not going to satisfy You think it's going to provide you the right direction, but when you're lighting your own torch versus doing it according to the standard that God says, when you're lighting your own torch and not following the fear of the Lord, you're going to lie down in torment. It's exactly what it says. This is what you shall receive from the hand of the Lord. Go ahead. Do it your way. Have you ever said that to a kid? I mean, not that my kids would ever have had that happen. Ever. Hey, no, I want you to do it this way. No, Daddy, I want to do it this way. No, you really need to do this. No, I want to... Suit yourself. You go ahead, because if you want to learn it that way, I'd rather you not. I'd rather save you that pain and embarrassment and trouble and toil. But go ahead. Oh, and they can't do it. And you're going, I, I told you that. But that's the way the Lord does to us, and yet sometimes we keep trying to light our own torch. Lord, give me another flat, uh, lighter so I can light my torch again. No. Lord, would you bless this torch that I have constructed and made with my own hands? <laughs> no. No. Lord, I would like to do it this way and I hope that you will wink at me and say that this is okay. No. Because what produces is it produces torment in our life and actually it allows deception to come in. Because when it's not the light of the Lord, what do we do? We think we're walking in the light. We're like, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm walking in the light. Um, are you? Are you walking in a light that you have tried to construct? Um, we have uh, on, on our car. I'm so blessed to have two fantastically working vehicles. And just working is, is about all I can, that's about all I can ha- ask for, right? On our newer vehicle, the one with 180,000 miles, 75,000 miles on it, 175. Don't, I was trying, I'm not, not, not trying to exaggerate. That's literally what it is. The, there's a film over our headlights that has just over time and moisture's gotten in there. It's kind of yellowed out. Right, so we realized it the other day. We didn't even notice it. We were just driving around and like, it, it is the light that it is. And then we rented a vehicle a few weeks ago that actually had lights and we we're like, oh, okay. Wow. I can see. This is great. Then we got back in our car and I'm like, oh my gosh. I think I should turn my brights on. And when I turn my brights on, it's maybe like a normal amount. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, this is not good. I've got to get this fixed, right? Because things have just kind of filmed over. But we didn't notice it until we had a, a right standard of what light was supposed to be that we realized how much darkness I've been driving in. <laughs> I apologize to anyone who's been closed while I'm driving. But there's a light that has to come in. There's a cleansing of His light that causes you to be able to see where you're going. I realize that I get tense when I'm driving. My brow is all furrowed and I can't, like I'm literally having to concentrate very hard. It's because I can't see very far. Oh, maybe some of the tension we're allowing in our lives is because we have in and of ourselves very dim lights. They don't really cast what they're supposed to. And the truth is, is it almost puts me in more jeopardy because I think I'm okay because the lights are actually on. But they're not doing any good. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, the last book in the Old Testament. So if you want to find Matthew and back up a few pages. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 16. It says this, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Uh, what's, the, what's the saying in our culture? Birds of a feather flock together. Right? People who are of like mind 
If you do it out of a poor spirit, you kind of get a, a cliquish thing going on. We don't, we're trying to exclude. But the truth is, is when you have more in common with people, you just naturally, without thinking about it, you kind of gravitate to them. I was a teacher and a principal. I, I can talk to teachers, so I end up talking to teachers. When you're involved in certain things, if you like something, if, you, if you're a guitar player, well, then you end up talking to other guitar players. Why? Because you, if you hear anything they say about music, it kind of... Well, in this case, it's those who fear the Lord. It's part of the importance of the body. It's part of the reason that I love my church. is because then those who fear the Lord talk with each other. Would you talk to somebody? Just, just love on somebody. Just talk to them. Right? And the Lord listened and heard. So I, mean, I wonder what they were talking about. I, I'm sure that those who feared the Lord were talking about their fear of the Lord. I'm sure that what was down deep in their heart and they were passionate about it, it comes out. If you get on a new diet, what do you do? You talk to people about your diet. If you get on an exercise program, it's not unusual for people to start talking about that because it's consuming your thoughts. These people fear the Lord and so they're talking about it. And the Lord listened and heard. Doesn't that seem redundant that He listened and heard? <laughs> Listen and heard. Um, if you're a parent in here, how many ever... How many times can you listen but not hear? Mama, 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 mom, 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 mom. Christy, what? Right? Like, how can you ignore it that many times? And if you don't have kids yet and you have not gone through that stage, then it's amazing. You don't think that you're going to do that. You're like, oh my gosh, I will never do that. Oh, you'll do it. You'll do it. To protect your own sanity. <laughs> huh? What? Huh? When they get to that question, they're like, Dad, what is that? Why is that? What about that? Oh, dad, 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 why? Dad, why? What? Dad, why? Mm. <sighs> right? It happens. I'm telling you. It's going to happen to you. If it's not yet, then, then soon enough, it's going to happen to you, right? So the Lord listened, and he heard. He is capable of hearing the sound waves that come out of our mouth, and he's also able to comprehend what's coming out of our hearts. He listened and heard both. Even if you ignore the kid part of this, if you have a spouse, sometimes you can listen, but not hear. I'm terrible at this. My wife's like, I told you about that, and I'm like, uh, I believe you. I never actually heard it, though. <laughs> Did the sound waves pop into my head? Probably so. I'm actually not going to refute that part. Because you are a godly woman, and if you say it, then I'm sure that it happens. And you've got to tell me again, because I have no idea what you're talking about. We're going over here and doing this. Ah. Okay, great. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. You want to make that special list? You want to make that, that special place? Literally in the presence of God, a scroll <laughs> pulled out a notebook and went, Ah, Samira. Boom. Ah, Charlie. Those who feared the Lord and honored His name. Lord, we're going to press forward even when we have a difficult class with difficult kids. That mm. i got to be with all day. Lord Jesus, help me. Right? Right? Sash knows about that too. A scroll of remembrance was written in, the, in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honors His name. I want to be on that list. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. Oh! Belonging, purpose. What is the world seeking? It's seeking all these things and trying to figure out how to do it. And God just says, if you fear me and honor me, you'll be mine. Says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I will make up my treasured possession. I'm going to remember you. You think I forget, but I'm not going to forget. You may be afraid that I didn't pay attention, but I listened and I heard. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve and those who uh, between those who serve God 
and those who do not. Wow. Maybe it's some of these things that are going in our life and this enemy being a bully and trying to intimidate us has to do with the fact that maybe we're getting to a point where there can be more clear distinction even in our own walk. So if he can dissuade us, if he can push us off the mark, if he can confuse us. You guys understand, like, I don't know if you've ever gone to a magic show or, or seen a magician. The whole point of magic is what? It's deception. Look over here. Well, that's not what's going on. Or by the time you see that, it's already done. Or it's misdirection. You're, you're looking in the wrong place and you miss what happened. The really, really good ones are, are incredible. They roll up their sleeves and you're like, how do you do that? And pulling out cards and coins. And you're like, wow, it's a fun gag. It's not so much fun when the enemy's trying to do that to you, though. Look over here. Worry about your job and your family's falling apart. Look over here. Worry about what you don't have in the bank account. And he's... He's implanting the wrong things into your heart. Look. No, 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 no. There's going to be a distinction. There's going to be a distinction in my life. There should be a distinction in your life. Amen? Turn to Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22. Psalm. Psalm 22. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful psalm. A messianic psalm. We hear things here. We see things here that we hear Jesus quoting later on. Like verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. Let's go down to verse 19. Psalm 22, verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the, the theme of my praise in the great assembly. But those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. And what an incredible passage. That God, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. Should be a call to praise and worship in our lives. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline. <laughs> I love these little parenthetical statements that are added. Right? This was actually written for our good. Verse 8. If you are not disciplined... And by the way, everyone undergoes discipline. Oh good, I'm not alone. Then you are legitimate children. Um, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. In other words, it could be that your father had good intentions and didn't quite do it the right way. Could be that maybe your father was too harsh or maybe he was too passive and you never actually got the discipline that you needed. The implication is here is, but when you see that conjunctive word, what does it mean? The first part is true. The next part is more true. It's important. Then the next part is more important. 
But God disciplines us for our good. His actions are good. He will discipline us and it produces godliness within us. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Trained. You didn't hear it. You actually were trained. I had a friend come and do... He's a personal trainer. And we did a session this week. I haven't worked out in a long time. I can't hardly stand up right now. It hurts. And it's good for me. It's both painful and pleasant. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. How true. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When you stick to this thing, when you do it the way that God instructs. Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Okay. You guys know that I'm fairly open with you. So there were some moves that I had to do in the gym the other day. And it was embarrassing because I'm there in the gym. First time in a long time. Amen. Hallelujah. And hey, I want you to do this move. Okay, I want you to plank. I just want you to sit there and, you know, just hold that. Just keep holding it. (laughs) Shaking. It's like, firm up. I'm like, I can't. (laughs) I want to stop. He's like, he's like, you were shaking. And then all of a sudden you stopped. And I was like, because I just wasn't going to let you beat me. Like, whatever that clock is, you go as long as you want. And I'm like, (laughs) silently weeping to myself. Right? When I read this scripture, I was like, unfortunately, I can relate to that a little bit more than I want to. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Maybe there are some areas that God has given us that we have abused by not using them. And so we get out of shape in the things of God. We're, We're around people. You may be around other healthy people, but that doesn't mean that you're healthy. You might be around people who work out Frequently and are very good at it and who love it. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. you can't live vicariously through other people. I'm glad for them. It doesn't help me, so I need to have these things in place because if I don't, then I can become, I can have weak arms and feeble knees. Maybe it's because I haven't allowed the Lord to train me properly and I'm just, I can't do what I should be able to do is the implication here. But it says, therefore, doesn't say you don't have, you should never have feeble arms or weak knees. It doesn't, ever, it doesn't say that. It says, therefore, strengthen. Those things that are weak in you, go ahead and get back in, the, go ahead and get back in there. Don't let the enemy um, make you afraid to go back in there and do it. Right? Where's the last place that you want to go when you're out of shape? The gym. You know why? Because you're out of shape. And everyone else in the gym is in shape. But the very place that I need to go is there. The very place that you need to go is to find out what God is calling you to do and you run after it. But but I may not have much stamina. Okay. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Strengthen it. Keep doing it. Maybe I can only run a mile today. Next next week I should be able to run a mile and a tenth. Like just keep moving it up. Let's turn to John chapter 8. Here's where I want to focus for a few minutes. John chapter 8. Hope this is making sense to you. Last week we talked about a particular festival, a feast. Can anybody tell me what feast we talked about last Sunday? Tabernacles, Sukkot, right? So on the last and greatest day of the feast, it says in John chapter 7, right near the end, right? Verse 37, last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, what did he say? Okay, come. Let's just read it. Verse 37 of John chapter 7. And then we'll move on into chapter 8 here. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus said, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What was going on? Do you remember that we talked about it? They had this festival and they were, they were pouring water from, in, uh, from golden vessels into clay pots. They were pouring out things before the altar of the Lord. They were rejoicing with great joy. And he's saying this at a a high feast of the the Jewish people. 
He's celebrating with them. And as they're watching the priests and these rituals that come and pour out water, He's saying, hey, if you're thirsty, come to Me and drink. They're watching what's going on. And He says, that's a picture of Me. It's, it's someone standing in Liberty Hall in Philadelphia by the Liberty Bell on the 4th of July talking to you and saying, I am the freedom. Oh. There's a lot more going on than just, hey, if you're thirsty, i got some water over here. Right? He's saying He is the water. He is this water of life which He meant the Spirit which He would later give. Now go over to verse 8. I mean, chapter 8, I'm sorry. Chapter 8, verse 1. So this takes place. People start to go to their own homes. Then each one went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, He appeared again in the temple courts. Most people, most Bible scholars actually, uh, or many Bible scholars, think that chapter 8 starts off on the same day. A Jewish day starts at 6 p.m., goes through the night. So we're the next morning after they were celebrating this. They think that this was... So apparently at the beginning of the day, He stood and said in a loud voice. So at 6 p.m. He stands and says... If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Takes place for a few hours. People go away. He comes back in the morning and we get this story. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. Has anyone ever baited you into doing something that you really probably shouldn't have done? And you realize after they were just setting a trap for you? No, really, this is okay. No, come, and, come on and do this. And then they report you to your boss. They get you to say, they're, they're antagonizing you and trying to get you to do the wrong thing and then when you do it, they're like, ha ha, caught you. They're trying to catch the Word of God. <sighs> Good luck on that. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Him. They were trying to bully Jesus. There's a woman standing there. Can you imagine? Coming in, probably throwing her to the ground. This woman was caught in adultery. And as if he didn't know, Moses says you should stone her. What do you say? Huh. It's amazing to me how bold the enemy gets. The more that we start making advancements in the kingdom, he starts getting more and more bold with the opposition. I told you guys my Starbucks story. Like how many things, it just got silly after a while. It just got ridiculous. You're like, come on, man. We're not even veiled anymore. We're not even trying to pretend like I don't know what's going on. No, I'm just going to come and hit you with everything I got. Oh, well, okay. Good. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm not worried about that. So here's how Jesus answered. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. <laughs> so what are you going to do? He starts writing in the dirt. Again, one of my favorite things in the Bible is just to read through and just see how Jesus responded to things. Like he could have come back with Scripture. He could have come back with something super witty. He just kneeled down, knelt down. What what does the next verse say? It says, when they kept on questioning. So he's drawing in the dirt. And they're still yapping at him. Right? They're still talking. The woman's still there and he's just... When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. Hmm. This reminds me. Hold your place there in John. Turn to uh, Jeremiah. Chapter 17. 
We're going to flip right back to John. But Jeremiah chapter 17. We're shooting for verse 13, but this passage is too good to start just at 13. So let me give you a little bit more. Verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. (laughs) One who lights his own torches, right? Who depends on flesh for his strength. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. When I was younger, um, let's just say it this way. Now that I'm older, I've had to learn how to work smarter and not just harder. I had pretty bad form. I'd just pick up stuff, heavy things. Terrible, terrible. Throw it up on the back of a truck. One time unloaded a washing machine just by myself just because I could. Now that I'm older, (laughs) I don't even want to try. Hey, can I get five, six people come over here and help me with this? Right? Cursed is the one who, who trusts in, in man, who depends on his own flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will, not, he will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, root, send, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. When the heat gets turned up, not worried about it. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Amen to that. I don't want to have a season where I do great, and the next season, eh, I'm a little parched. Eh, not so much fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is back to that relying in your own strength. Um, please don't fall into the Americanized gospel, the Disney version of the gospel that says, let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket is really, really cute. He doesn't know anything about the Bible. <laughs> right? Let your conscience be your guide. What this says is my conscience can be completely wrong wrong, bad. I could feel great about something and it be the wrong thing. My conscience can be seared according to the Scripture. I could so abuse my conscience that it no longer works. It no longer functions. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In and of itself, there's not much hope. Verse 10, though, says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. To do what? To reward a man according to his conduct according to what his deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs, it did not lay, is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him. And in the end, he will prove to be a fool. Think of all the, our modern movie stars, rock stars, athletes. When they get tons of money, most of them can't handle it very well. Some who have made the most money just means they've lost the most money and they're, they're poor by the end of their life. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Those who have forsaken you will be written In the dust. Huh. I wonder what Jesus was writing. Perhaps he just wrote from Jeremiah. Perhaps he just referenced it. Perhaps he wrote what they did. Who knows? The Bible doesn't give us that. But because they were forsaking the spring of life on the last and greatest day of the feast... That he just said, come to me if you're thirsty and you can drink a few hours before. And now they're coming to do this. They obviously didn't get it. And he's saying, huh, all right. So when he begins to speak, it's let you who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And whatever he said, it's written there, but whatever he wrote on the ground combined with what he said did this in verse 7. Um, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to, to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I love it. He straightened up, talked to him, put his head back down, started writing in the dust again. At this, verse 9, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. (laughs) Pretty interesting, huh? I guess the older ones were a little bit smarter and can kind of figure this out a little bit better than us young guys. Us young. I guess I'm not in that category anymore, am I? Than you young guys. I'm one of the old ones. When they kept on questioning him, uh, verse 9, at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. Huh. With the woman standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. This is where our modern culture misses it. Oh, how forgiving Jesus was. He didn't condemn her. He could have thrown stones, but He didn't. Yay! That's true. And what did He tell her? Go and stop sinning. Go do what you're supposed to do. He did not excuse the fact that she was caught in adultery. Stop your sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He caused and changed her life because of what He said. He didn't accept her right where she was. Amen? Verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. So what was he before? He said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. A few hours later, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what else was going on at this day? Again, he introduces the last and greatest day of the feast. The next morning, this woman is thrown at his feet. He tells her to go and sin no more. And then he turns around and says to the group that was there, I am the light of the world. Of the world. You know what was going on at that time? They were having part of what Sukkot was was to usher in the, the water of life, and it was also showing the people to be the light of the world. Let me read this to you very quickly. At this time, there were four golden menorahs with four golden bowls at the top of each and four ladders, each leading to a bowl. This is from um, some Hebraic writings. Four strong young priests would climb up with pitchers and each holding nine liters of oil. So a couple of gallons, right? A milk jug full of oil, which they would pour into the bowls. From the worn out drawers and girdles of the priest, they made wicks and with them they lit the menorahs. And there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up by the light of these festivities. Pious men and men of good deeds would dance around the menorahs with lit torches in their hands, singing songs and praises, while the Levites played harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and innumerable other musical instruments. So while he's saying this, they are dancing around, playing music as they light lights. One other thing to read. The Gemara on this passage says that the menorahs were 75 feet high. It's not a little candle off flickering. There is a candle. Right? It's not just a candle off in the... These were 75 foot, huge, incredible menorahs. There was light. I mean, we're talking significant light. And Jesus stands up and says, hey, guess what? I know I said come to me and drink. That's true. So I could pour out the Spirit on you. Guess what else I am? I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The reason that we don't have to be afraid of the dark is because we are people who are supposed to walk in the light. We are supposed to be the people of light. We are supposed to have the light of life in our, in our lives. Turn to John chapter 1. Just back a few pages.
verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. I hope that you have had the privilege of talking to someone about something spiritual and they not get it. I hope that you've actually spoken to someone and seen the difference between those who walk in the light and those who do not. If you haven't, then let me challenge you. Perhaps you're not walking in the Lord, what the Lord has for you because if you do this at all, you're going to see that you're going to say something spiritual to somebody and they're not going to get it. Not because we're smart, but it's because the things of the Spirit have to be spiritually discerned. It's not a matter of how intelligent you are or how intelligent you aren't. Spiritual things are derived. We have to understand spiritual things because the Spirit reveals them to us. So if you start sharing with somebody and you show and you can open up the Word of God and they, they, they don't understand, perhaps you need to ask God to open up their eyes and let them see the light that causes them to come to life. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Think about it, guys. So we're at the let's 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 think back all the way to Genesis one. God said. Let there be light. Let there be light. Light was created on the first day. By the way, when did God create the sun and the moon and the stars? Day four. Kind of interesting. It says it right there in Genesis. We often overlook these things. God created light, and then a few days later, <laughs> He created the sun. Huh. God doesn't need the sun to be our light. God is light. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. So if it starts off with this light that brings life, Revelation 22 shows us that it really ends with this same light that brings life. Revelation 22, the very last chapter in the Bible. Verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Wow, beautiful. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. So it's the second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14 says this. Starting in verse 1, speaking of the day when the Lord comes and reigns, the day of the Lord is coming when, you plunder, when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. On that day, His feet will stand on the, mountain of, on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of its mountain moving north and half moving south. You know you got some heavy footsteps when you land on a mountain and it literally cracks in half. You will flee by my, um, by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime. <laughs> we are serving a big 
big God. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and His name, the only name. You want to talk about there being, uh, maybe it's just the same God, but we all call Him different names? That's not what this says. There will be one God. There's going to be one name that people are going to recognize as the ruler of the universe. In the last passage, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, and starting in verse 5. says this, This is the message we have heard from you and declare to you. God is light. Everybody say, God is light. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If you've got some places in your life where there's some shadowy things, you need to get more of God in you. And He takes care of that. He illuminates that for you. You seek His face and He will illuminate those things that seem to be hidden. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, many, many people in our land claim to walk with God. Depending on the statistics that you look at in America, anywhere from 60 to 75% of people, sometimes more depending on the survey, claim that they're believers. Have you looked around? Why is it that so many people are walking in darkness? If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. It's easier to do that with other people, though. What about us, though, in our own lives? What about us? Are we fully walking in the light? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. When we are in right fellowship with God, we will have right fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And His Word has no place in our lives. Wow. Now, you read through 1 John and you realize how much he's talking about the love of God, right? It's this incredible, God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. There's all these passages that speak to this. And here it is here. If we don't walk in the light, if we claim that we walk in the light, but we walk in darkness, the Bible calls us a liar. And by our very nature, we're trying to make God a liar by what we do. Chapter 2. Verse 8. Verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. It's given us measurements of what we are. If we're walking in the light, then we cannot possibly hate our brother. We cannot possibly hate our brother. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Amen. You want to have a stumble-proof walk? You get in this light and let his love pierce you. It will change the way you live. Chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Don't you love words like lavished? What a beautiful word. He's poured it out so abundantly, inexplicably, overflowingly. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself 
just as He is pure. And the last passage, over in chapter 4, it says this, verse 13. We know that we live in Him and He is in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love. Can you put that scripture up there for us? Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. There is no fear in love. Let me encourage you as we close. Let me encourage you. As we worship here just for a few minutes, there is no fear in love. So what is the converse of that? If you're walking in fear, then you're not walking in the perfect love of God. If you have fear going on in your life about what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to handle it, perhaps is that we need to find the perfect love, the perfect light of God to illuminate in our hearts so that we can respond properly to Him. That we can be obedient. That we can put our hand to the assignments that He has for us. And that by doing, by moving forward, we can allow His love to take manifest in us. There's no fear. There's no fear that allows for boldness. Would you guys stand with us?